Good morning. Who are you? You remember the uh, remember the, the old band from like the seventies and eighties, the the Who, and they had that song, "Who are you? Who 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 who?" Right. From, right, it's theme song from CSI. Anybody remember that? Uh, <clears throat> who are you? How do you describe yourself? How do you define? Your identity. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So I want you to think about who you are and, and how you would describe yourself or your identity. Uh, and then I want you to look around and I want you to find somebody whose face is not very familiar or maybe you haven't seen in a while. And I want you to go introduce yourself and say, you know, my name is Andy. We say your name. My name is Andy, and here's one interesting thing about me. Now, I'm going to give it three minutes, so you don't have time to, like, share your whole life story. Just one interesting thing about who you are. So uh, take about three minutes and go find somebody and share. Okay, I like the sound. I love the sound of the conversations, but I have work to do, so. <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's find our way back to our seats. Uh, by the way, my name's Andy, and I'm one of the pastors here, um, and so... As you're, yeah, Peyton, as you're thinking about who you are and what your identity is and how you define yourself, uh, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, let me ask you these other questions. How many of you chose how much coffee you would drink this morning? How many of you chose that? Raise your hand if you chose how much coffee you would drink. Now, everybody should have their hand up. Because everybody chose either drink no coffee or one cup or six cups. Uh, nobody, like, well, my wife held me at gunpoint and told me I could only drink two cups. Like, that didn't happen to any of us, I doubt. If it did, call the police. Uh, <laughs> right? But, so you get to cho- choose how much coffee you'd have. How many of you chose what you would wear to church today? I cannot raise my hand. The shirts that I set out before I get in the shower are not always the same as the shirts that are out when I get out of the shower. Uh, and if men, if you're married, just learn early. Your wife has better taste in clothing than you. Amen. So just let her choose. You'll be happier. Uh, how many of you chose how to spend your Saturday yesterday? Now, some of you may have been at work. You might not have gotten to choose. Some of you may have been off of work and maybe you did get to choose, right? So there are things in life that we get to choose. But there are things in life that we don't get to choose. How many of you chose what family you'd be born into? None of us chose that. How many of you chose what era of history you'd live in? Didn't get to choose that either. Anybody in here choose what nationality you would be? Anybody choose the color of your skin? Anybody in here get to choose your body type or your bone structure? Nobody got to choose that. Anybody choose how tall you are? Obviously not, or I would have been taller. (laughs) Anybody get to choose the inherent talents and abilities that you would be born with? No. There are many things in life that we don't get to choose, even while there are many things in life that we do get to choose. And all of these things 
contribute to our understanding of ourselves, our identity. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning is self. We're in a series about how to follow Jesus, what it means to be a Christian or a disciple. And we've talked about coming to Jesus and becoming like Jesus and sharing Jesus with others. We've also talked about what you need in order to be a disciple. You need the Holy Spirit of God. You need the Bible, the Word of God. And you need the church, the people of God. And then if if we're following Jesus together, who are we following Jesus with? Who is in that together? And that's the last part of the series, and it's God, self, and others. Last week we talked about God and how we relate to him. This morning we're going to talk about self and and how we understand our identity, how we define our identity, where our identity comes from. And I'm I'm going to make a claim that understandably is very controversial, very controversial, especially in today's society. Uh, because it goes right against the grain of one of the most fundamental understandings of an American. And here's the claim that I'm going to make. We are not free to define our own identity. Our identity is given by God, not created by us. As human beings, we were created with lots of freedoms, but we are not given the freedom by God to define or create our own identity. Identity is a given by God. It is not created by us. And I understand that that goes against the grain of American culture because we're told from the time we are born into this nation, you can be and do anything you want to be and do. You just believe it hard enough with all your heart and watch enough Disney movies and you can do it. It's not true. We are not free to define our own identity. Identity is given by God, not created by us. And part of what it means to be a Christian or to be a disciple is to find your identity in Christ and to accept who God made you to be and to be that person. That's part of what it means to be a disciple, a Christian, to find your identity in Christ. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Identity is given by God. God, not created by us. So we're going to work our way through some scripture and um, we usually I like to camp out in a single passage and really dig the treasure out of that passage and talk about it. That's not the kind of sermon this will be. It'll be a little bit different. We're going to be going all over the Bible in many different places. All the verses will be up on the screen. Uh, you can follow along in your Bible app or on, in your paper Bible if you want. Um, but we're going to be doing a little survey because all throughout the Bible, one of the common things that you read in both Testaments is how God often redefines a person's identity. When you're reading the Bible, note how many times God gives somebody a new name or a new calling, a new role in his kingdom. That happens a lot. And so we're going to look at just a few examples from Scripture to show us that identity is given by God, not created by us. Uh, and and we'll, we'll be, like I said, kind of going all through. So let's start in Genesis chapter 17 with the story of Abram. Uh, God chose Abram. He called him to leave his family and leave his country and go to a land that God promised to give him and his descendants as an eternal inheritance. Now, that land is the land of Israel today. 
Uh, that's where it is. And Abram is the father of the nation of Israel. That's one reason why the Israelis live in the land where they live. Uh, but God uh, called Abram, this is about 4,000 years ago, and he said, I want you to leave your, your family, I want you to leave your country, I want you to go to this land that I'm promising to give you as an eternal inheritance, and you're going to have children to inherit this land. The thing is, uh, by this time, Abram, Abram was in his 90s and did not have any children. And his wife, Sarai, was very old in her 80s and did not have any children. They had been infertile. So Abram says, how am I going to have a child to inherit this land when I don't have a child? And God comes to Abram in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 5, and he says, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. The name Abraham means father of a multitude. And God says, not just the father of any multitude, the father of a multitude of nations. Multiple nations are going to come from you, Abraham. This is your new identity. I'm giving you a new name and a new identity. And and if you read the rest of the story, that's exactly what happened. Multiple nations came from Abraham, just like God said they would. Uh, Now, if you go a little bit further down in chapter 17, God also honors Abraham's wife by giving her a new name. In verse 15, God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. The name Sarah means princess. And when God gives Sarah that identity, he's not saying, oh, she's my little princess. Isn't she cute? She's in her 80s, right? What he's saying is, she is my princess who will be the mother of nations and kings. Right? This is a royal term. And it's a miracle because Sarah was in her 80s at this point. Abram, Abraham was in his 90s. The only way they could have a child was through a direct miracle of God. And they did. Sarah gave birth to a, a son named Isaac. And he gave birth to a son named Jacob who had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel, right? So all the things that God said would happen did happen because God gave them a new identity and a new name. Uh, Let's look a little bit further into Genesis at uh, Abraham and Sarah's grandson, Jacob. Jacob was born a twin. His brother's name was Esau. And Esau actually came out of the womb first. He was born first. But when he came out, as his foot came out, Jacob's hand was clinging onto his heel. And and that's how they were born. So Esau was born first. And then Jacob was born clinging onto Esau's foot. And so they named Jacob, Jacob. Because that name means one who clings or grasps on the heel. He was holding onto his foot. But that's not necessarily a good thing. Because one who grasps the heel is referring to someone who pulls on another's foot to pull them down. The name Jacob also means cheater. And we see that in his life. He lied to his parents. He tricked his brother Esau. Esau was born first, so he had the big inheritance. Jacob cheated his brother Esau out of his inheritance and out of the blessing that the firstborn gets. And so... Uh, naturally, when they're young adults, uh, Esau says, I'm going to kill my brother because he's cheated everything out of me. Good thing his name is Cheater because that's what he is. 
So Jacob leaves. He flees and he goes to live with his uncle Laban and um, he, work, he lives there. He works for his uncle for a couple of decades and he gets married to a couple of his cousins. And I know that sounds weird to us today. That was pretty common in that day and age in that culture. Um, and as he's working, his wealth begins to grow. His herds and his flocks begin to increase in number. He has kids. He has a big family. And he finally decides, I'm going to head back home. And so he packs up all of his stuff and all of his livestock and everything. And he goes back home. And meanwhile, his brother Esau has also been very prosperous, become very wealthy. And Esau hears that Jacob's coming home. And he sets out to meet Jacob with an army of 400 men. And so Jacob naturally hears about this and is naturally very, very scared. What's going to happen? My brother wants to kill me. He's got an army of 400 people. And so Jacob spends a night in prayer and God actually shows up in physical form and they wrestle. It's a super interesting story. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 32. But as they're wrestling, they wrestle all night long. And then in Genesis 32 verse 26 God says to Jacob, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and men and have prevailed. Now, the name Jacob means cheater, but God gave Jacob a new name, Israel. And you know what that name means? God fights for him. Well, that's a pretty cool name. God fights for him. Have you ever wondered why this, th- this story happened 4,000 years ago? Jacob or Israel had 12 sons, became the 12 tribes of Israel. You ever wonder why the people of Israel have persisted throughout history for 4,000 years? Despite being attacked time after time after time after time, despite being exiled, despite being enslaved, despite being conquered by the Roman Empire, despite things like the Holocaust or the recent terrorist attacks by Hamas? You ever wonder why the people of Israel just can't seem to be destroyed? It's because God fights for them. That's the name that he gave to Jacob. No, you're not the cheater anymore. You are now the one who God fights for. And the promise to Abraham was passed to Isaac and that promise was passed to Jacob who became Israel and that promise is still in effect today. By the way, we should continue to pray for Israel and peace in that place and rescue for those hostages and the elimination of Hamas. God fights for Israel. That is his name. That is his new identity. But there's something really interesting in this story that I want you to notice. Before Jacob could receive his new name and new identity, what did God do? He asked them, what is your name? Now, do we think that God didn't know his name? Of course God knew his name. God wanted Jacob to say his name. Who are you? I'm a cheater. That's who I am right? That's my name. Yep, I cheated my brother Esau out of his birthright, out of his inheritance. That's who I am. He had to confess his old name in order to receive his new name. I'm one who God fights for, right? So God made him confess that and then gave, that's not who you are anymore. That's who you were, but you're someone new now. I'm giving you a new identity, 
Uh, let's look in, there, there's lots of times this happens in, in the Old Testament. Let's look over at a couple of examples from the New Testament. In and, and, um, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus renames one of his disciples. It's, it, the disciple's original name was Simon. But Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, uh, verse 18, And I tell you, you are Peter, which means, the name Peter means rock. And on this rock... I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So, uh, you know, sorry, Dwayne Johnson. Uh, there was an original rock and it was, it's Peter, right? If you don't get that, don't worry about it. Uh, right? Peter is the rock and on this rock, God will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What that means is as Peter goes out proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah, Nothing will stop the gospel. And we see that all through the book of Acts. The gates of hell and all the evil that the world has cannot prevail against the spread of God's kingdom. This is who Peter is. He is the rock. Uh, Let's look further in Acts. Um, There's a really well-known person named called the Apostle Paul. Now, um, God didn't change Paul's name the way he's changed some of these other names. Uh, Paul's Hebrew name was Saul. So he was called Saul by Hebrew-speaking peoples. He was called Paul by Greek-speaking peoples. It was just the Greek form of the Hebrew name Saul. But God does change his calling and identity and role in God's kingdom because Paul, or Saul, was persecuting Christians. He was going around and locking, arresting them and putting them in prison. And even some of them were being killed and this is what he was doing, and he thought that he was serving God by, by eradicating Christianity. But the gates of hell do not prevail against God's church. And so no matter what he did, Christianity continued to grow and spread. And one day, Saul, or Paul, was on the road to a city named Damascus, where he had heard about some Christians there, and he was going to arrest them. And the resurrected Jesus shows up in full glory Saul falls off his donkey. The, the light of the glory of God is so bright that he's blinded. And Jesus says, stop persecuting me. And Saul recognizes, okay, I've been, I've been on the wrong track. What do I do? And, and Jesus says, go into Damascus and wait for further instructions. So he goes into the city and he waits there and he's fasting and he's praying. And then Jesus shows up to a man, a disciple in the city named Ananias. And he says, I want you to go to this certain house and I want you to pray for Saul. And Ananias is like, are you sure? This is the guy who's killing Christians, who's arresting them. Are you sure you want me to go and pray for him? And then look at what Jesus says about Saul or Paul. Acts chapter nine, verse 15. But the Lord said to him, to Ananias, go For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. His old identity, persecutor of the church. His new identity, chosen instrument of God to carry the name of Christ to the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. Right? Totally different identity. The persecutor becomes the preacher of the gospel. God changes identity. And the, the word, we call him the Apostle Paul because the word apostle means one who is sent. 
And, and Paul himself recognized this. And he wrote a lot of the books of the New Testament that we have. And in almost every book that he wrote, he started it something like this. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Called to be a sent one. Set apart for the gospel of God. He, he started most of his letters like that. Here's another example. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Whose will was it? Not his own. God's will, right? Uh, and, and then look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men or th- nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul was an apostle not because he decided to be an apostle. Paul was not an apostle because when he was a little boy, he dreamed about growing up someday and traveling over the world to preach Jesus. When Paul, Paul was not an apostle because somebody else said, hey, you're an apostle. No, Paul was an apostle Because Jesus Christ called him and God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead said yes. His identity in God's kingdom was not something that he defined for himself. It was something that God gave him. And what we learn from all of these examples, and this is only a small number. There are lots of times in the Bible where this exact kind of thing happens. What we can pick up from these is that our identity is given by God, not created by us. I am defined by Jesus Christ. That's part of what it means to be a Christian. My identity is defined by Christ, not by anyone or anything else. My identity is not defined by who I am sexually attracted to. My identity is not defined by what I think my gender is. My identity is not defined by my job or the color of my skin or my education or how much money I have or what my hobbies are. My identity is not defined by any of those things. Now, all of those things contribute in some way to my understanding of myself, but they do not define my identity. My uh, my identity is defined by Jesus Christ and him alone. I am not free to decide who I am. Identity is given by God. Not through man, not through the will of man, not from myself, it is by God. And part of what it means to be a Christian is to accept who God says that you are. Now, who does God say that you are? Right? There are many, many verses in the Bible that give us a glimpse of that. Let's just look at a few. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Whoever you were, Paul, the persecutor of the church, this is not who you are now in Christ. Paul, the apostle. Right? So, When you come to Jesus and you put your faith in him, the old you is gone and you are a new creation in Christ. You're not defined by your sin. You're not defined by your addiction. You're not defined by your struggle. You are now defined as a child of God, right? You're defined as a new creation in Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
You are God's workmanship. That means you are God's artistic masterpiece. God has created you exactly as the beautiful child of God that you are, and he has created you with a purpose and a plan for good works that he prepared beforehand for you to walk in. You are God's masterpiece. You are God's artistic design. You are beautiful because God created you in Christ as a beautiful workmanship. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Not just a conqueror, not just a victor, but more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are more than a conqueror. You are not a slave. You are not defeated. You are a conqueror and more than a conqueror in Christ. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. You are a child of God. Of God, If you have placed your faith and surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you have been born again into his family. You are a child of God. You're not a failure. You're not someone who, who never would measure up to whatever your dad thought you should do. You are a child of God, dearly loved, lavishly loved. And not just a child of God, but you're actually an heir of the kingdom of God. Galatians chapter four, verse six. And because you are sons... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, that's the old identity, but you are a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now some people read those verses and they say, Paul's chauvinistic. What about the women in the congregation? Women can't be sons. And and even some modern English translations of the Bible will translate it, you're no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter. Even though the word in Greek is the word son. And when the English Bibles do that, trying to uh, be politically correct, I think they make a mistake. Paul's not being chauvinistic here. What you have to understand is in that time period, daughters were not heirs. Daughters could not inherit anything. But sons could. And Paul says in God's household, everybody's a son. Everybody's raised to the status of someone who inherits the kingdom of God. Whether you're male or female, whether you're Gentile or Jew, whether you're slave or free, all of us are sons with an inheritance of heaven. That's the kingdom of God. That's the household of God. And that was a radical departure from Paul's society, right? This is who God says you are. Now, these are only, these are only a few examples. We've looked at six verses There are hundreds, hundreds of verses of who the Bible says you are in God. As a Christian, your identity comes from Christ. You are who God says that you are. The other question I want to ask is, what is your role in God's kingdom? So who does God say that you are, and what is your role in God's kingdom? As human beings, none of us are isolated individuals, We are born into community, and and as such, we have a role in the community that we're born into, right? We all have different roles like uh, friend, brother, mother, 
husband, wife, sister, cousin, student, teacher, engineer, pastor, overseer. Like we all have different roles in the various societies and communities that we're a part of. What is your role in God's kingdom? Peter was the rock. Paul was the apostle sent to the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. What is your role in God's kingdom? And if you don't know that, I would encourage you to ask God, what is my calling? What is my identity? Who do you say that I am? Spend some time in prayer asking God for that. Now, when you do that, God's going to to reveal that to you in many different ways. Spend some time in prayer and write down what comes to mind. When you're reading the Bible, if you, if you come across a story that really stirs and resonates with you, take note of that, right? When you, um, when you what are the things that get you, get you excited? What are the things that move you deeply? What are the things that you see in the world that frustrate you? What are the things that you're just naturally good at? And people say, man, I wish I could do that like you. Right, what are the things that, uh, what, what's your personality type? What are the needs that you see around you? When all of these things begin to converge, God is showing you, this is your calling in my kingdom. This is your role in my kingdom. This is who I've created you to be. Right? I, I talked with a man in our church recently who spent several weeks in prayer and in uh, discernment and looking and talking and uh, asking God and, and looking at all these different ways. And he, he shared with me, he said, I think my calling in God's kingdom is gentle peacemaker. I think that's who God made me to be in his kingdom. I'm a gentle peacemaker. And Jesus said, blessed are the gentle for they shall inherit the earth, right? So that's a great thing. What is your role? What is your identity in God's kingdom? I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up And as they do, I want us to sing a little bit and I want us to reflect on this and I want us to ask God, who do you say that I am? What is my role in your kingdom? And I want us to accept who God says we are in his word. And that's what this song is about. Let's sing. We're gonna end uh, with a meditation, but before we do, there's one uh, verse that I forgot on my list of who we are in Christ. And I want to share that with you. Um, I just feel like this is an important point in our world today. Who who does God say that we are? 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit if you belong to Jesus Christ. Your body is not your own. And I know that there are some people in our world and might be some people in this congregation who are feeling mismatched. I was born with boy body parts, but I feel like I'm not a boy or something like that. It is not okay to change your body to try to match what you feel like in your mind. Your body is not your own. It was, you've been bought with the price. Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross to purchase you. Honor God with your body. You have the body that God gave you. 
And that part of your identity, whether you're a male or a female, a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, that part of your identity is not something that you are free to choose. It's something that is given to you by God. So if you're in a place where you're feeling mismatched, and you're feeling like, I don't know if, if what I feel inside it matches my body, get help. Don't change your body. Don't make permanent changes to your body that will forever uh, cause problems. No, get help. Seek to understand, why does my perception not match reality? Because when our perception doesn't match reality, it's called a mental illness. Somebody who is... Um, Struggles with eating disorders, for example, anorexic. When they look in the mirror, what they see is an overweight person. Even if in reality they're 30 pounds underweight, what they see in the mirror is an overweight person. And nobody says, change your body to match your false perception of reality. We all say anorexia is a mental illness, let's get you help. But some, for some reason in our society today, when what I see in the mirror as a a boy or a girl, doesn't match what I perceive in my mind, we say, oh no, that's not a mental illness. That's the identity that you get to define for yourself. Guys, that's a lie from the enemy. You don't need to change your body to match your false perception of reality. You need to get help so that you can perceive reality correctly because God has given you a body and that's part of who he made you to be and who he says that you are in Christ. Uh, So I I felt like I I needed to go back. I missed that earlier and and I wanted to come back to that. Let's, uh, it'll put us over time, uh, but I wanna end our service with a meditation from Mark chapter three. Uh, and this, this was something that, uh, that came to me while we were doing the Reading the Bible Together class last Wednesday evening. We were in Mark chapter 3. Um, and by the way, if you're in the Wednesday evening Reading the Bible Together class, it doesn't meet this week because it's Gospel Community Week. So go to your Gospel Community. Um, but uh, we were reading in Mark chapter 3 and there's a story where Jesus is casting demons out of people and the religious leaders come down from Jerusalem and they say, Jesus is possessed by Satan. It's by the prince of demons that he has the power to cast out demons. And Jesus says, first of all, that logic doesn't even make sense. If Satan casts out Satan, how can the kingdom of Satan prevail? A house divided against itself will fall. Right? And then Jesus says this in Mark three twenty seven, No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. In this verse, Satan is the strong man and Jesus is the plunderer. We don't often think of Jesus as a plunderer. <laughs> but Jesus is coming in to Satan's house And he is binding Satan's power and he is casting demons out of people, plundering the captives that Satan has taken. Jesus is setting those captives free. He's taking them back from Satan. That's what he's doing in this passage. And as we were talking about this in the Reading the Bible Together class, I felt like the Lord directed me to pray and ask him, who or what is a strong man in my life that that I need to ask Christ to bind. So I want us to uh, I want us to take a moment and reflect on that. If uh, hopefully when you came in you got a, a note card like this. If you didn't get one, raise your hand. We'll make sure that you get one. But I want us to take a moment and I want us to ask this God this question: Who or what is the strong man in your life that is keeping you from being who God said you could be? 
In order, to, in order to live in your identity in Christ, you need to be set free from the power of sin and Satan. And so I want you to ask God that question, then I want you to write it down on this note card. And when I did this, uh, God showed me this. One of the strong men in my life is the desire to be known and respected. Or the, you could also say it, the desire to prove myself. And God showed me that's, a, that's a, a strong man in my life that keeps me from living in my identity in Christ. Uh, so I want, I want us to take it, whatever it might be, I want you, let's just take a moment and listen and have uh, God help us to understand this. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you for plundering Satan's house and setting the captives free. Uh, and so as we come before you now, we're just going to take uh, uh, just a very short time. Would you speak to us through the Holy Spirit and show us who or what is a strong man? And there might be more than one. Who or what is a strong man in our lives as we write this down. I don't know what you wrote down. Could be a health issue, an issue at work, a relational issue, an addiction, an attitude. I don't I don't know what what your strong man is. But I want you to fold I want you to fold your card in half. And like Jacob, who confessed to the Lord his old identity before receiving his new one, I want you to confess that strong man to God. Yes, I do struggle with an out-of-balance need to be known and respected. Yes, that's something I, I struggle with. I want you to confess that right now. Just take a moment, silently confess that. And now I want you to tell Jesus Christ that you want him to bind the strong man in your life. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that you are the king over this people. You're the king over us and you have the authority over our lives. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And so, Lord Jesus, by your power and by your authority as our king of kings, we ask you to bind the strong men in the lives of this people and set us free to be who you've called and created us to be. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And then, take the rubber band. I want you to put that around that card as a symbol that that strong man is bound in your life. And I want you to take this home, put it on your desk at work, tape it to the dash of your car, tape it to the window, or the mirror in your bathroom, somewhere that when you see it, you will remember, I am not a slave to my temper anymore. I am not defined by that divorce in my past. I, do not, I am not defined by that addiction or that challenge or whatever it is that I'm struggling with. I have been set free in Christ The strong man is bound in my life. Let's stand and worship God.